our passage of scripture today comes from Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and I must tell you, I think it is absolutely amazing that in God's providence, his word always is spoken at the right time. We hear exactly what it is that we need to hear. Now, today I want to ask you, I know sometimes people open their Bibles and they close them after the scripture is read, but I want us never, ever, ever to do that again. I want you to open your Bibles this morning, whether it be on your telephone or whether it be on your tablet or whether it be your personal Bible or the Bible there in front of you, but I want every person in here who's able to read the Word to open it to Romans 12 and remain there until we are finished. Romans chapter 12. I title this message today, Life together as the body of Christ. So please keep that in mind as we go through the word today. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, 
so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, thank you for the word. Would you give light that we would see life rightly according to your design rather than ours. Change us that we would be Christ's lights in this very world. Holy Spirit, be our teacher, we pray. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen. Romans, just, just to give you just a, a very, very short introduction, I want you to have context here. The book of Romans is written to Jewish and Gentile Christians. A little more background. In the time of the first century church, there was an emperor by the name of Claudius, and he set forth an edict that dispelled a lot of Jewish people out of Rome. Well, Claudius has died. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, and he wants these people to understand, Jewish and Gentile Christians, that the church of Jesus Christ is composed of both Jew and Gentile. God joined, God constructs his church, he builds his church. God is the one saving, delivering, rescuing people who are termed ungodly in Romans chapters 1 through uh, chapter 4, the ungodly, the unrighteous, and God makes the ungodly. He declares the ungodly. You and I would fall in that category if you were wondering. He declares them righteous, righteous, justified, right standing between God and us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, total dependence on Jesus. God has made things right. And Paul, whom Christ has appointed as an apostle to Jews and Gentiles, God has appointed Paul to teach these people in Rome, the, the, the church at Rome, the assembly, the, the gathered people, a congregation of God's people, that not one particular ethnic group is better than another. But God is at work throughout redemptive history. Redemptive history means from Genesis to Revelation, the promise that God has given that he will purchase people back from sin through Jesus. That's all it means by redemptive history that God is saving people out of every tribe and tongue and language. And the church at Rome, Jew and Gentile, 
they are to reflect the people of God to a lost and dying world. Now, in our, our country this week, we've seen some, some rough things happen. Rough things happen. Very sad to hear the things that have happened. And yet, I address you this morning as the church of Jesus Christ. We are called to a different purpose in the world. And our passage today deals with that. There are four things I'm going to talk to you about today. I'll tell it to you now. We're going to talk about... Now, as I give this message today, I'm going to say you, you a lot. But please know I am one of you. <laughs> the you is plural. But this is God speaking to all of us. You are a transformed people. You are a transformed people. That's number one. Number two, you have a new identity, both individually and corporately. Number two, you have a new identity. Number three, you have God-given instructions for doing life together as the body of Christ. And number four is an opportunity for direct application. An opportunity for direct application. Well, first, I want us to see you, or rather the Spirit wants us to see here today in Romans 12. You are a transformed people. And there are three things under this particular declaration that I want us to see this morning. Number one, we are living sacrifices. You and I, we are living sacrifices. You, number two, are called to continuous biblical transformation. And number three, you are called to think differently, and that according to God's design. First thing here in terms of being a transformed people, you are living sacrifices, living sacrifices. Paul begins this particular chapter by appealing to the brothers and sisters, and though it says brothers in your Bible, the Greek word there means brothers and sisters. I appeal to you, I beseech you, some versions say. I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The declaration that Paul is giving here, rather the exhortation Paul is giving, comes by way of God's mercies. The vehicle through which he's able to even give the exhortation is God is being merciful. The exhortation says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The language of sacrifice here means in the context that by faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ the Savior, you, you who was once ungodly and unrighteous, You've been declared righteous by God, as I said earlier. You've been declared right, justified in God's sight through faith in Christ. And now you belong to God's people. You're no longer in darkness. Now you belong to God's people. And notice it's plural who he's talking to, brothers and sisters. You have a new identity. You are united now to Christ. Now God intends for you to live out your new life in Christ through his indwelling Holy Spirit. 
with your new life in Christ, you can offer your body, along with all the other members of Christ's body, and we'll get there in just a minute, to God as a living sacrifice, alive, not dead. What is a living sacrifice? Brothers and sisters, it is the life you choose to live every single day God allows you to live in faith united to Jesus. It is choosing what is holy, what is acceptable to God every single day. I urge you, I appeal to you, present your bodies, bring your body forward. Offer yourself daily to God. You belong to him. Paul says this way of living is your spiritual worship. The NAS version reads, which is your spiritual service of worship. It is living in the light of whose you are now. You belong to God. God has set you apart for God. Well, verse 2 declares that you are called to biblical transformation. Now, Terrence, how did you get that? Paul instructs the saints at Rome not to allow themselves to be conformed to this world. And I, I, in my studies, I was looking there in the, the Greek construction there. It's passive. It's passive. Don't sit back and allow darkness, the culture devoid of God, to educate you, to mold you, to shape you, to form you. You have a new identity. You made a confession that you belong to the Lord Jesus. Therefore, you now are to be different. Along with a new identity comes a, a new way of being and acting, of living and behaving. In a sense, your role models change because your life trajectory has changed. You belong to God and you belong to God's interpretation of reality now. You are to be transformed. The overflow of your internal world will always be seen in your actions, in your decisions, every single day. You know, when I was in college, I became, I first went to college, I was a nursing major, didn't want to be a nurse. I wanted to be, no, there's nothing wrong with nursing, there's nothing wrong with nursing. I just didn't want to go to school forever to be a doctor. So I said, I'll choose something simple or something easier. Well, it wasn't easier. Uh, but I changed my major while I was there, which actually I changed it to what I knew I went to college to do. I changed it to English and I minored in philosophy. I did that because I, I knew that I would end up working with people and people are books. And when you talk, when you talk, I can read you. We can read each other. Belonging to God now, our internal world is to come out. Are you allowing the world around you to conform how you make your decisions? Judgment calls what you love and what you cherish. And you know, I think that's very important in a place like where we live here in the DMV. Our schedules are so important. 
Sometimes they're more important than God, it seems. What influences us, brothers and sisters, today? The word says, do not allow the world to conform you. The command from the apostle goes further to a positive statement. He says, but be transformed, which is also passive. Be transformed by the renewal of your, what? You tell me, mind. Be transformed by the renewal or the renewing of your mind. Well, what are you talking about here, Paul? Mind renewal connects with this new reality, this new identity, with this new way of seeing and understanding the world and life. In this context, mind renewal comes by way of Paul's apostolic commands, the commands of Peter, James, and John, the, what we call the New Testament, what we know to be the New Testament, but also the Old Testament. The point here is, we are to be transformed by the scriptures, God's holy word. God appointed these men to preach and teach his word. For you and for me, mind renewal comes by way of preaching, by way of Sunday school, family and personal devotions, quiet times with God, scripture memory, reading good theology. If you've been to my study, you see I have a lot of books. I love books, <laughs> and I want to be reading good things so that my mind is transformed by God, God, and God's stuff. The Bible becomes for you and for me the glasses through which we see the world and understand reality. You don't hear that a lot nowadays. We are inundated with television and culture and everything. Your Bible-driven mind renewal connects to your discerning, to your choosing the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. As it says there, Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 helps us here. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God's revealed will is what he has shown us in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. It's right there. The righteous way to live is found in the pages of this Bible. Learning the will of God is what Paul is teaching here in his letter to the Romans, and it's what the Holy Spirit teaches us today. Well, thirdly, under we are a transformed people, you are called to think differently. You're called to think according to God's design. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, Paul says, not to think of himself more highly than he or she ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul's apostolic command yet again comes through grace, God's grace, and not from his own authority, meaning the authority of Paul alone. It matters to God, brothers and sisters, how you and I think about ourselves. And it matters to God how we think about each other. I am not of more value or higher stature in the sight of God than you, and you are not higher or of more value in the sight of God than me. I like to say, I like to think, and, and, and I believe this is absolutely true, at the feet of the cross, there's level ground. Everybody is at the same height, and we stand looking at what Christ has accomplished for us. 
God has been gracious to save you and me in saving us from the eternal consequences of sin. God has graciously given you and me a new life, new identity, a new reality in Christ. We are indeed brothers and sisters in Christ. The Spirit teaches us today to, to think in a healthy way about ourselves. The, the word here in Greek, it, it pertains to thinking soberly, with prudence, with self-control, cautiously, seriously. It's being wise and cautious in your thinking about you and that in the reality that you are always before the audience of God. God has given to each believer a measure of faith. I had an interesting conversation with two staff this week. They wanted to know, what does that mean? It's more proper here to say, I don't mean than what the word says here, in the context, it means God has assigned each believer in Christ a measure of faith. You might say, well, how is that fair? Do you have more faith than me? And if so, why? Remember that context is everything. On the face of this verse, we can say from this particular vantage point that God has made every person unique. Christians are all unique according to their God-appointed design and measure of faith. And I think this becomes more and more clear as we go down the passage. This means that you, believer in Jesus Christ, you, you've got a purpose from God for your faith and for your life. And that faith, that measure of faith, and notice the word is measure, portion, something we, we measure out. We use measurement uh, terminology to see how things fit, to see how things fall into place. The second thing here I want you to see this morning is you have a new identity and this measure of faith comes right into this. You have a new identity both individually and corporately. Paul gives an illustration in verse four of the human body. Now keep that in mind as you think back on what we just said in verse three. Verses three and four, they're connected in Paul's train of thought here. He begins to discuss how believers are united together to Christ and each other. And he uses the illustration of the human body. He says the body's got many, many parts, and we all know that. Fingers, toes, feet, legs, arms, eyes, ears. But they're all part of one body. They're all part of one body. I mean, you think about the body itself. Inside of the body, you have all these different systems. And it's all part of one body. All of our body parts have different functions, different purposes, different roles, and yet they're all part of one body. In verse 5, we see that we are one body in Christ. All parts of the body of Christ, all the members of the body are connected to one body, Jesus Christ. Paul references the saints at Rome here along with himself when he says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. We're one body, each and every person in this sanctuary who trusts in Christ as their Savior. We're all joined together. Did you know that? We are one. We are united together. Or at least that's what the Scripture says is supposed to be the reality among us. We are many individuals, and yet we're also members of each other. 
in my transcript here, I've got this emboldened. This is very, very, very important for us here at the Church of the Atonement this morning. It means that your brother and your sister in Christ, they're presenting their bodies to God as a living sacrifice. That should matter to you. It should matter to you that your brothers and sisters do not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of their minds. We are part of the same family of God. We are the people of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. You know, the people in our neighborhood, the people we see every day, whether or not they're a part of the body of Christ, they're watching our, our witness. Are we the body of Christ? What do you think they see? What, do you, what kind of report do you think they'd make about us? Here in our neighborhood, this is not to make you feel guilty. This is to awaken us that we exist in this world for Christ. And we belong to one another. And a, a certain seriousness should grip us in regards to our fellowship, our connectedness to each other. You, you might say, well, now, I don't want people in my business. If you are united to the body of Christ, if you are united to Jesus, you're united to the body of Christ, and yet you, you need to let people know your business in the body of Christ. There'll come a time, you all, we'll need one another. When my father died, I haven't talked a whole lot about this. When my father died... I was amazed at the people who came to our home in North Carolina. It was incredibly encouraging. The body of Christ came and gave us great comfort. The third, fourth thing here, the, the four things under we have a new identity. We are given the illustration of the human body. We are one body in Christ. We are members of one another. And fourthly, we have gifts from God and we are to use those gifts. And we see this in verses 6 through 8. Each believer, as uniquely designed by God and appointed a measure of faith, is also granted gifts that differ according to the grace given to each one of us. Every believer at atonement does not have the same gift. Everybody's not a preacher. Everybody's not an organist. Everybody is, is, is not a, a, an usher, an elder, a deacon. But we all have different gifts. And those gifts are to be utilized. We're not to sit back on the sidelines. We're not to be marginalized, so to speak, in the church. We're to be deeply involved in the life of our congregation. God has fashioned each one of you, and you fit in a certain place. In the church I grew up in, they used to sing a song called, In the Master's Vineyard. This is the refrain, In the Master's Vineyard, Christian, find your place. In the Master's Vineyard, there is work to do. In the master's vineyard, Christian, find your place. Do you know your place? Do you know your place today? I got to hasten on here. The next thing I'd like for us to see this morning, number three, is we have God given instructions for doing life together. 
God-given instructions for doing life together. And this is verses 9 through 21. And here Paul teaches on life together for us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And as you hear these next verses explained, I want you to imagine that this is about atonement. It is about atonement in every church of Christ. But I want you to imagine that this is true about us, that we will do these things. The Holy Spirit, he wants this to be true about our local church, the body of Christ here in Silver Spring. God wants this to be true about you. And I'm just going to run through these. Anti-hypocritical love. Now keep in mind, this is what our Christ-centered community of faith can look like and is to look like. And, and remember that I told you he's writing to Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, telling them they are one. So this is to be true about our oneness together. We are to have anti-hypocritical love, hatred for evil. We're to glue ourselves to good. We're to have tender love for each other. We're to have honor contests to outdo one another in honoring and respecting one another out of love. We're to show up in our commitments to one another. Boiling over with spiritual fervor, we are to be, and it doesn't say this in your, your, your version, but slaves of Christ. Slaves of Christ. We're to rejoice in hope. Staying the course through difficult circumstances. Absolutely committed to prayer. We had prayer downstairs this morning in Vigilant. And there were nine of us. And thank God there were nine of us. But what if there were 50 of us calling on God? We're to have participation in provision for our brothers and sisters in need among us. Practicing hospitality. And if we don't know one another, we can't do that. We're to bless our persecutors. We're to bless them and not curse them. What kind of mind is able to do that? When somebody hurts you, your natural reaction is, I got to get them back. Rejoice with those rejoicing. Weep with those weeping. Being there for each other. That's the whole point of that. Being there for each other. Thinking the same way towards each other. Not high-minded, but associating with the downhearted, the poor, the lowly, the outcast, the marginalized not egotistical, not arrogant, not self-important. Never returning wrong for wrong, evil for evil or injury for injury. Cultivating in your mind what is right, what is good, what is fitting, what is honorable. And he says that in the presence of everybody. I mean, think about that. It's a different way of living, isn't it? It's a different way of life. If we say we belong to Jesus, then what does the outward life look like? It is to be a representation, or let me just say it this way. The outward life is a representation of what is going on inside of who you are. Brother and sister and friend. Attempting the possibility. This, 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 this particular scripture, I thought, my goodness. Attempting the possibility, if it's even possible, he says, among you then live at peace with everybody. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't mean be a doormat. It doesn't mean that at all. But it means know whose you are. Knowing that vengeance belongs to the Lord, God will have a day of reckoning you all when all of the wickedness going on in the world will one day be made right. 
feeding your enemy. Who does that? Giving water for your enemy's thirst, not conquered by evil, but conquering evil with good. And I must hurry now. Lastly here, we have an opportunity, number four, for direct application. And in, your, in our atonement life today, there on the very front page is an article that I wrote this week. I was going to read it now, but I don't think I have time now. <laughs> but an opportunity that we have is life groups. Life groups. Life groups is something that myself and uh, Jim Rohr and Bev Holler and Kurt have been talking a lot about over the past four months. In September, in September, for four consecutive Thursdays, I'm going to host life group training seminars in Rankin Hall. It'll be every Thursday in the month of September from 7 o'clock to 8.15. This part I am going to read to you. Church of the Atonement is a family, and several of the people on the pastoral search committee responded, we are a family, when I asked during my interview, how would you describe atonement? I'm a witness now that atonement indeed is a family, and the most defining feature of a family is families do life together. With life groups, my prayer here is we have small groups in our church, but the word, the, the, the name, the label, it does not facilitate. It doesn't convey what it is that we're trying to really do. So I'd love for you all, anybody who, would, who is a part of a small group right now, I'm not going to call them small groups going forward. I'm going to call them life groups. God wants his people to do life together. And brothers and sisters, God wants our church to grow, which means we must know God and get to know those around us and share his reality with them and watch him save people. I extend to you the offer to come. Please read this particular page. There will be five things we will concentrate on in life groups. Fellowship, engage, serve, invite, and grow. My prayer for this is that God would use this mightily in our church, you all. I'm very excited about it. The world watches us. What do they see? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to plumb the depths of Romans 12. Thank you for these, my brothers and sisters. Pray, Father, that we would do life together, that we would be unashamed of being united to Christ, that we would be delighted to join together in knowing one another deeply, but also in welcoming other people into the life of our church, sharing our worldview, the only true worldview, which says Christ is the only way, truth, and life, to those who are, they don't know you right now. Father, I pray you'd use us mightily. I pray this, Father, in the name of Christ. Amen.